This is the Juno Report from Guide Dog Users Incorporated, excerpted from a conference in SeaTac, Washington last May. The moderator, Marlena Lieberg. We all go to the guide dog schools, and then we come home. And when we come home, oh boy, what a shock. Our panel consists of Gary Lieberg, Mark Adrian, um, Rick Lewis, and David Egan. And we're going to sort of let them wing it however they want to do it. And um, maybe we'll start with David. And um, perhaps, David, you can talk about, from your perspective, some of the thoughts about coming home and, and how it impacted your family. My first training program, my wife said to me before I left, whatever you do, don't come home with a golden retriever. <laughs> that, was a, that was rule number one. So what do I do? <laughs> I came home with a golden and uh, came home with all these high expectations, all these things that I'd learned in training, all these things we were supposed to do with the coming home messages, assuming that everyone had looked at that and took it to heart and really believed and saw things the way I did. That coupled with feeling really strong and confident for the first time in my life, being able to use a guide dog, go do whatever I want whenever I wanted. So I had that mindset. The, the people that were close to me probably weren't much used to that because before then, you know, pretty independent, grabbing an arm, trying to get from point A to point B by having them either drive or taking buses with them or something like that. So that was a huge change for all of us and a big adjustment. In fact, looking back, I can, you know, it was so much joy for me just having the idea, just having a guide dog and that, that sense of freedom that most of us have never experienced before then, you know, so I, that was pretty cool to me. And I expected everyone else around me to feel the same way about it. But the truth is, is for, for us, it was a huge adjustment because I was all of a sudden real independent, didn't want to have to rely on someone else to get from point A to point B. So as far as the marriage goes, that was pretty hard for us. With my friends, it was like, wow, what just happened? You know, so, and I still, you know, I still just cringe thinking about what a change that was for me to come home with my first dog. One of the things that we were told was, if your friends don't like your dog, then find new friends, yeah. you know? <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, that's kind of hard to do. <laughs> so, so, and the, the truth is, is some of us have friends that we've grown up with, that we've known our whole life, who might have allergies. They might have really nice homes where they don't want dogs in their house. So for me, it's been a balancing act, especially with each new dog. Where do you draw the line? You get invited to a dinner party or, or if you want to go somewhere in a car together, they may not want your puppy in their car. You know, and that's always a balancing act for me. And I find myself even to this day kind of saying, well, yeah, I'd love to go to the dinner party, but I'm not going without my dogs, so I don't go to the dinner party or whatever just because I don't, I know we can take them and I know we can push the envelope a little bit, but you know, you got to be kind to your friends, especially your lifelong friends and people you work with, people you know. So it's, it's, it's still a balancing act and it's part of coming home like, well, why didn't I know this before I got home, you know? Um, anyway, it's, it, it's all fun, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. That was what we went through with my first dog, Tillis. And what was funny is, is, as soon as I got home, my wife had all these rules. You know, we had all these house rules, and I came with all these high expectations. And she met Tillis, and all these rules, you know, you have to lay here on this carpet. You have to sit there, and, that, you know, and you have to, all this and that. 
they lasted about five seconds, you know, so <laughs> game over. <laughs> he looked her in the eyes, and that was the end of it. So, and that's, that's part of the joy, you know, when, your dogs, when our dogs are in our home, by golly, that's our home too. Wakota was my second dog, and uh, coming home with him, it was a little bit different because there was nobody around for us, and it was scary. When I came home, my wife was in Montana, my friends were all off on vacation, it was the middle of summer. So I had like that, it was great for adjusting to home with a guide dog, but nobody was around. I just so desperately wanted to share that, that experience with everybody in my life. But it was one of those summers where, where everybody was gone and, and it was a last minute deal for me to go get him. And, and so the advantage to it for me was I had those first three weeks with just him and me and just a few other people to really adjust. And I think that's what made it so, so tender in my heart for that particular second dog because he was always there and just really had that bonding time then. Now, my third dog, Bernie, was really interesting to me because we had the best training ever I could imagine. That was just a month or two ago. And one of the surprises coming home, of course, we're kind of old hat now. We've gone through that coming home stuff so many times we're good at it. And uh, Bernie, coming off the airplane, and it was a real crowded airport, and I thought, man, I'm never going to find my way here. But somehow he saw my wife, Susan, way across the airport, across the corridor. And I don't know how he did it. To the, each day, our dogs do something to amaze us and surprise us, yeah. you know? And, and I didn't know where the deuce I was. <laughs> Jeez, I'll never get out of here. <laughs> and, uh, but he somehow hawk-eyed her and found her from, from way across the corridor and walked straight up to her. And she didn't see him coming, you know? And I, I, to this day, I don't know. It's just something that, that made that connection, and they're still connected. So I think our guides not only connect with us, but they connect to the people that are close to us as well and at least for me and I know each of us are different for me I have to give them that that freedom each dog is different each coming home experience is different and I, I guess talking about the coming home piece you have all these packets and all this information that you assume and I assumed that everybody's going to read it and take it as seriously as we did I've learned and it's been hard for me to accept the fact that no they're not going to read all this stuff they're not going to think it's as important as we do so I think for me, I have to just create a good example and do, do the best I can independently and know when to ask for help and when not to. I could talk a little bit more about each of the pups and how each one is so different. For example, my first dog was very happy with us in his life, especially coming home. As long as he had a football in his mouth, a toy, something in his mouth, he was fine. You know, as long as he could see us and as long as there were children close at hand. He loved kids, and, and so that was different, and it was really nice for coming home, especially with neighbors and stuff like that, because it, they became part of his, his pack as well. Um, my next dog was just a goofy thing. He, he, yeah, he only had to be with us, but he was a yakker. He'd just talk, 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 and, but he didn't care about fetching or playing or other people. He just wanted to be with me and with us. And, and that's how different they are. And so I feel like you meet each puppy halfway. And coming home, you have all these high expectations, but then you've got to understand they have little personalities too. Now with Bernie, it's like he's always been with us. So in closing, the, the most important thing that I see is those first few days, first few weeks at home are so important. Even after your training program and you come home, if you have that time with that dog to where you, I know in, for me it was hard to learn how to trust. You know, that was the biggest thing in my training the first time. Trust that dog, not, I don't know. And, but now I find 
the, that trust even grows and that, that mutual agreement you have with your pup, those first th three weeks are so important. And, and now my dog's misbehaving, so I'm gonna pass this on. My name's Mark Adrian, and this is my first guide dog. So my journey was actually very interesting because I actually started thinking about the idea of a guide dog probably three years ago. And I had cats <laughs> in a condo and uh, the first thing that I sort of put in my brain was that I was not going to disturb the life of my cats to bring in a dog into a condo and stuff. And everybody I talked to said, but the dogs are trained to get along with cats. And I'm going, the dogs are. My cats are not <laughs> trained to get along with a dog. So, uh, so my, I had to put my cats down about six months apart. They were 15 and 16. So that brought my decision to a place where I had to make a decision. And so... Um, what was interesting was that uh, I, I went to the, to the guide dogs for the blind and boring, and I intellectualized the concept of a guide dog all the way through the process because I had plenty of time to think about it. And everywhere, and for months, like for probably eight months, I walked around every place I was. I was okay. Now I'm here, and there's going to be a dog here. Now, what's it, what does that feel like? Right. So I'm imagining all that intellectually. What am I supposed to do here? You know. And so uh, went down to the guide dog school. Uh, intellectually, I'm ready for my guide dog, my first guide dog. Well, what I wasn't ready for is a guide dog that all of a sudden in three days has totally melted your heart. <laughs> I was not prepared for that. So all of a sudden, all that intellectual processing was useless, quite frankly, because this was an animal that actually had become very, very close very, very quickly. I didn't also realize that in bringing a guide dog home, you do inherit a two-year-old child at that moment. So there used to be a time where I could just sort of, oh, it's time to go, get up and walk out the door. Then all of a sudden I'm finding, well, no, I have to collect this, oh, and I have to get this bone, oh, I have to get this blanket. I had to get a backpack just for the dog. All of a sudden I was having all this empathy for all these mothers I've seen in my life <laughs> running around toting uh, diaper bags and, and, and strollers and stuff. And I'm going, oh, that's what it feels like. So I'm getting it. I had the dog two weeks, and we had to go to Austin, Texas for a conference. The dog had his own suitcase. So the dog... Dog's suitcase was the carry-on. My suitcase was the one that got lost when we got to Austin. <laughs> Except, so the dog was fine, and I had no clothes. Except, so this is something that's been very interesting. And again, you can intellectualize this. You can think it through. You can talk to people, get their experiences. But there's a couple of things that I've noticed. One is that when I used a cane, I was a cane user for probably 18 years or something. The difference between a cane and a dog. First of all, the cane in my mind, had become a wall between me and people. I went to the same places, same, met with the same people, the same groups, the same organizations. When I went there with the dog, all of a sudden I had friends all over the place. So people, I mean, it's like, where were you? Where have your people been? Right. So, so I equated to the idea that the king was acting like a wall, the, the dog was acting like a door. And all of a sudden people were approaching me. It was noticeable within one day. So that was one thing I noticed. The second thing I noticed is that with uh, the guide dog, I lost contact with the environment. <laughs> so, uh, and that was very disconcerting <laughs> uh, at first. And stuff. So even though the cane, uh, using the cane, I was moving through the environment slower, at least I kn knew there was a tree over to the left, and I knew there was a chair right in front of me, and I knew where the curb was. 
with the dog, it was like, I'm whizzing through, and the only thing I know is they were now at the next curb. So that was a little disconcerting. The next thing was, which was interesting, I don't know if this is other people's experiences, but I actually had to go to a chiropractor because <laughs> I was not used to walking at that pace. I was really so surprised at how slow I was really walking around the world using a cane. And I'm not, I'm not downplaying the cane. The cane was is highly valuable. But I really wasn't accustomed to that speed, nor having someone. It's sort of like water skiing. Has anybody water skied? Exactly like water <laughs> so, so all the, it's sort of like lean back and go through it. So it's trying to get that into that zone, that sweet spot with the dog. One of the very interesting things that I learned about having this dog is that I actually have a companion. I actually have a partner. I actually have um, a, a living uh, being in my life that actually is we're tuned in t together. Now, what's really weird is that I have not been away from this dog since I've been, have with, been with him since September. We have only been one hour at a time apart. So we've been together constantly. I've never been with any living thing 24 hours a day, <laughs> seven days a week, for months. Anyway, this dog is absolutely awesome, and he has changed my life. For folks that have known me, uh, um, a lot of the people I work with at the Department of Services for the Blind all of a sudden uh, think that I'm a nicer person. <laughs> which is very interesting because actually the dog has mellowed me out quite a bit SF, which is really awesome for the people I work with I think SF. So, uh, so anyway this has been an extremely amazing experience and the one thing again that I have learned is that with a cane you can find your way out of a problem with a dog let go, let go of the handle it's up, the dog will not help you out if you don't know where you're going and stuff. So, uh, it's an awesome experience, and thank you for letting me share it with you. Well, hi, Rick Lewis. I have a different perspective because I've been the observer and participant with two dogs now because Deb's first dog didn't really work out as well as hoped. And I try to follow rules. I try. Deb said, you know, when I come home, you've got to ignore the dog for weeks. How long do you think that lasted? Well, with Newton, Newton was Mr. Enthusiasm. Newton is, well, this is Newton's world. And the second Deb and Newton were up at the door, Newton jumped at my chest. A little bit aggressive, but doggone it, I got a welcome, for goodness sakes. And it's pretty hard to ignore that welcome. It really is. It's hard to say, hey, Newton, you don't exist. I'm not supposed to talk to you. And Newton was kind of fascinating because he either was always on, and I mean on. He was revved up to 100 miles an hour, or he was at zero. In between didn't exist. Well, I guess it did because in between was when he was in harness. But I didn't deal with him when he was in harness because he wasn't my dog. Newton was an amazing all-energy dog, but he was so all-energy that he wanted to look at everything around him. He was easily distractible, and Deb finally said, no, we can't do this. So into our lives, after training, uh, comes Praline. And how long do you think the ignore 
for weeks lasted with Praline. Praline made her decision that she was going to befriend me, and I really had nothing to do with it, not that I minded. But here's the way I think it should go, basically. Um, and all I can say is these things I'm telling you, these things I'm talking about, they're probably things you know, things you deal with all the time. And I'll just say I try. Because you don't always succeed. You, you give it a good go. I feel that my major role as a family member in a household containing a guide dog is to uphold the owner. Deb really is the boss. It's her dog. Now, during off hours, you know, I may play with the dog. I may interact with the dog. Well, I do. No question about it. Couldn't avoid it. I'm not built that way. But it still is Deb's dog, and I have to respect her wishes. One thing that I definitely don't ever want to do is detract from the training. I don't want to do anything that is going to make the dog forget what his purpose is. So, for example, at least with the big toys, I don't play with the dog unless uh, Deb kind of invites me to do it. Smaller toys, I can't quite make that distinction because as much as I try because there are bones all over the floor. And when I come, the first thing Praline does is grab a bone. All right, I got a participant now. I'm ready. And really, heaven for Praline would be a 24-hour play zone. Forget this work, Jazz. That's kind of what I do between play periods. Now, I have participated in trying to reinforce training that Deb is trying to do, for example, knocking on the door. Deb trying to silence the barking that Praline likes to do. But, you know, Praline was a... A timid dog who didn't know what she wanted, or at least acted that way for a, for, for a few weeks, and she's gradually found her personality and her voice. And that voice is really hard to still, and we've kind of tried it. I don't mind the voice as much as Deb does, but, but still we've tried to do it, and, uh, you know, we'll try to do it again. Also, during the time that we've had Praline, uh... She's had more problems with the come command. She was a real good comer when we got her. And now she's kind of, well, is it in my best interest? Is it, what I, is it what I want to do right now? And so we really, I, I'm sure that Deb and I are going to be doing some come exercises very soon to try to get that come reestablished. But I would say, like parents, I don't want to get to the position, for example, where Praline will get approval for me to do something and not approval to Deb to do it. I really think it's like the parents are all the dog. will, you know, like any creature, going to kind of see if he, can get, he or she can get what they want and, uh, and get it from whomever will give it to them. And I, I think it's my role to uh, go against that. The important thing also is to respect the harness. Whatever happens at, at home... If uh, if Deb has praline and harness or the same thing with Newton, I just don't even mess with the dog. In that case, the dog doesn't exist. The dog needs to know it's work time, and I will you know, never take away from that. So those at least are my thoughts, and I assume that Gary has thoughts as well because I've never known him not to. Hi, I'm Gary Lieberg, and... Uh, 
This may surprise some of you, but when I married Marlena, I was not a dog lover. And so she brought in, along with her, a beautiful old chocolate lab named Patch. And old Patch was maybe a little bit of a used car salesman, but he had been well-trained, and uh, so I did not have to be introduced to a new guide dog for the first one. So my first experience was with a guide dog from Guiding Eyes, and he introduced himself to me. Now, Patch, um, as Marlena said, was probably donated by the Somonex Corporation <laughs> because you had to wake him up for anything you wanted to do. If you were not active, Patch was down and asleep. That meant if you were in a grocery store and you were examining which Progresso soup you wanted to buy, Patch was asleep. <laughs> or if you were at the wine section and you were trying to find out what kind of wine you would like to buy, Patch was asleep. But Patch was very, very good. Patch did not like the water. So um, when Marlena walked out on a dock one time, and they went all the way to the end. And Patch blocked her. And you could see it. You may want to go in that water, but there's no way that I'm going in that water. <laughs> so anyway, that was, that, that was my first experience. And, and I got to know the dog, and I got to see a little bit of the um, up and down the harness, up and down the handle relationship between the guide dog and the handler. Well, after Patch was gone, well, actually, he wasn't gone. I inherited him. <laughs> and she came along with a little yellow lab, and she was a pistol. And Madeline was a little 55-pound golden uh, yellow lab, and uh, she came into the house like a whirlwind. And she would like to play with Patch, but Patch wasn't much interested in doing much anything. By that time, he had pretty bad hip dysplasia and arthritis and so forth, so he was uh, slowing down quite a bit. But Madeline was, had her own personality, like everybody here at the panel has said. They all have different personalities. And I got to see the beginning of a new guide dog. And contrary to um, what has been said, I ignored her for three months. That dog did not exist. I had no interaction. And Marlena kept her tied down pretty well until she started behaving in the house. So she learned the house rules, and I think that served us very, very well. Um, she became, um, I think, probably one of the best guides that we had seen um, up until she was involved in an accident that Marlena was in, in a, uh, do I dare say it, yes. access bus. 
which rear-ended a car and severely damaged uh, Marlena's shoulder and uh, um, a sciatic nerve and made a wreck out of that poor guide dog, just made a wreck out of her. And much to the, um, I, have to, I have to really give guide dogs for the blind a pat on the back because they uh, sent the representative up and he worked and worked and worked and worked and brought Madeline back. And so she finished out her career and I was able to then see another guide retired and I became her person. Now, Madeline accepted me right away. In fact, to be truthful, Madeline quit. She one day said, I've had it. That's all. I'm not doing this anymore. Marlena came back in tears and told me, Madeline's done. She's quit. And so Madeline became mine. And next to me is Agnes. She's a cross between a golden retriever and a yellow lab. And again... When Agnes came home, she was doing the puppy stuff. But I yelled at Agnes. She was slinging water all over the place. Every time she'd take a drink, she'd take the last mouthful and go, go all over the place. Well, Marlena didn't know why I was so upset, but I'd go rolling through that in my wheelchair, and then I'd leave wheelchair tracks all over the clean floor. Jeez. Well, Madeline and Agnes turned into a team. That old guide dog and that young guide dog, Agnes would get harnessed up to go out and Mar Marlena would get ready to go out and do her work and you could just see it in Madeline's eyes. Yeah, let the kid go out in the rain. <laughs> and, then, and then when she'd come home, Madeline would come up to Agnes and say, hey, where you been? What you been doing? And, and they'd, then they'd start chasing each other around the room. Around and around and around and around the house. And pretty soon, bones? Oh, my God, the bones. Agnes or Madeline would pick up a bone. And then off they go. Two dogs and one bone. Around and around and around and around, around the house. Oh, they played so well together. They really, really, really did. It was terrific to see those two play. But again, I got to see more and more and more of the up and down the harness, watching Marlena work with a new guide dog. And um, I saw it with uh, Madeline. I saw it with uh, Agnes. If Marlena was confused or upset, the dog would get confused or upset. If the dog was confused or upset, whoops, up the harness handle it came, and Marlena would start to get a little confused and a little upset at time or two. Uh, yesterday, good example, we're heading down 152nd Avenue there in Burien, heading for the Elliott Bay Brewery. Nisha had a little doggy distraction. And then Nisha said, you know, I'm not really interested in doing this anymore. I've been this way a time a thousand times. So she started wandering all over the place. No tension in the harness. Marlena said, stop. And we went into the puppy push-up drills. Nisha, sit. Nisha, down. Nisha, sit. 
Nisha down. Nisha sit. Nisha down. Nisha sit. Now, are you ready to go again? Nisha, forward. Boy, did she get tension in a harness. <laughs> so it's, it's kind, these kinds of uh, observations that I get to watch uh, from time to time that uh, really, really convinced me that there is a tremendous, tremendous amount of intelligence going up and down that harness and that the dogs are amazing, amazing, amazing animals. It's, t it's turned me around 180 degrees, obviously, and uh, I can go on with many, many, many stories. I'll just, I'll just uh, conclude with one observation that drives me crazy, and these dogs, both of them do it. I think we have five different bones. Those damn dogs will pick up a bone and throw it right in my path. Now, if I'm trying to back up or I've got a box on my lap or something like that and I hit the damn bone and whatever's on my lap slides off, the, the, the air turns blue. I'm sorry, it just, it just turns blue. So far, I haven't thrown myself out of a wheelchair, but, uh, you know, I guess that time's coming too. But anyway, I hope this has been a little bit enlightening, and uh, I think the rest of the panel has done a terrific job. And uh, we, all, uh, we all love the dogs. You can find more information on Guide Dog Users Incorporated at guidedogusersinc.org.